Hey there, everybody. Uh, welcome to the latest episode of the Giants Talk is Cheap podcast from NJ.com, the Star Ledger, NJ Advanced Media. Daryl Slater here with Bob Brookover. On Tuesday afternoon, coming out of the Giants loss last night, uh, 23-16 to to the Cowboys at home. Obviously had a really uh, you know loud, big-game vibe at MetLife Stadium. Giants were not able to get it done. They fall to 2-1, spoiling the perfect start for rookie head coach Brian Dable. And now trying to regroup for Sunday's very winnable home game against the Bears. Not able to get it done against Cooper Rush last night for a bunch of reasons that we're going to get into here in a bit. Um, and so certainly plenty to digest off that game. Um, we'll start with what was the most glaringly obvious storyline, I think, even going into the game. And that was, could the Giants revamp the offensive line with one starter? albeit a very good starter and Andrew Thomas back from last year. Could that group handle the Cowboys pressure, their defensive front? And the answer was a resounding no. (laughs) 12 quarterback hits. Daniel Jones sacked five times. He was pressured on 55% of his dropbacks. I mean, an all around disaster for the Giants offensive line and their offense as a whole. Um, you ever seen a game, Bob, where 12 quarterback hits? My goodness. Wait, wait, wait. I, I just thought I saw Daniel Jones running by my window again. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't him. Sorry. No. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I have seen this game one other time, and then strangely enough, it was at MetLife Stadium. Uh, and it was, it was the Giants chasing Donovan McNabb. Um, the year they won the Super Bowl in 2007, I, I remember this game vividly. The Phillies uh, fin- completed their their seven down seven games with 17 to play against the Mets, come back and win the NL East that Sunday afternoon. And that Sunday night, the Giants and Eagles played at MetLife, or it, it probably wasn't MetLife yet. No, it's probably still Giant Stadium. Whatever. Um, and the Giants, I think, sacked. Donovan McNabb nine times that night. And it kind of defined the start of the Steve Spagnuolo uh, defense that, you know, they figured the Giants figured things out and how to, how to do things. And they they rode that to a Super Bowl title. Yeah. And I I think when you look at this Giants team, uh, this is something that is going to be a problem for them. I mean, their offensive line, I I don't know at what point we got, fooled into thinking that this, or anyone did, that this offensive line was anything other than what it actually is, which is highly questionable. Uh, You know, they got torn up in the interior of their line in week one and a win over the Titans. You know, it's sort of one of those things where victory masks a lot of warts. Um, But then, you you, you know, the Giants were sort of revealed for, for really what they are last night, I think, certainly with the protection. Evan Neal, most notably, Five pressures allowed, three sacks, two uh, a hurry, and and a quarterback hit. De- Demarcus Lawrence just owned him. And and Evan Neal, to his credit, uh, hard on himself after the game. I think this this is very reminiscent of what we saw in 2020, albeit without in person access. Then with Andrew Thomas, and he was he was pretty bad, really bad for the for the first half of his rookie year. You know, what he's become has been one of the more dependable tackles in the NFL. Will Evan Neal follow that path? We'll see, but it's a very similar path here. And I think any reasonable, rational person should expect more kind of hiccups here from 
Evan Neal going forward. That's just the way it's going to be for him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he processes it. What, what did you think of how, uh, well, I mean, I don't know how anyone could have a, a takeaway other than the obvious from how he played, but certainly how he how, how he played and how he responded. I think uh, the way he handled it was was good. Uh, and not, not just him, the way he handled it and the way his teammates handled it, it was interesting because as he was talking to the media, uh, John Feliciano, the center, starting center, was a, a, a few steps away from him, a few lockers away from him, kind of taking it all in. And, you know, he said it's our job to make sure he knows that just, this is just one game. Uh, but you know what? When, when, when a player has a horrible game, you want him to take it hard. And Evan Neal did. Uh, but he has a lot of support in that locker room. As you mentioned, Andrew, Andrew Thomas had a horrible, horrible uh, start to his uh, rookie season, and he talked about how, yeah, I share my experiences with um, with Evan all the time. So that's a good good support group. But you know, there's a reason teams draft tackles so high, and the Giants have invested a lot of draft capital in those two guys. And you want to see this entire offensive line improving, but the Giants aren't aren't there yet. Uh, Feliciano is a good stand-up guy and a pretty good leader in that locker room, but he's got very little experience playing center. Uh, the left guard situation is is not good. Uh, you know, they, they, with uh, Azudu and Bredesen, uh, am I messing that up? Is left guard or right guard? I'm sorry. Uh, that left guard, yep, yep. They're left guard, right? Yeah, my mind's still asleep right now. <laughs> it's game. Uh, you know, and Glowinski is a solid veteran, but they they still have work to do uh, overall, like they do at almost every position on the roster. You know, that's one of the ones they, that's still a work in progress. And last night it was a disaster zone. <laughs> um, and, and probably the biggest reason the Giants lost that game. They played the, their starting five offensive line actually all, all seventy two snaps uh, together. So Bredesen get, getting you know getting the start, playing the whole way. Azudu did not play. Uh, I don't even think on on special teams last night, but uh, did not that's play. Kind of, that's kind of a reflection of what he did the week before. So yeah, you know it's growing pains for him, like it is for a lot of these rookies. Um, you know, I, I guess he did get in on special teams if I'm looking it up. Yeah, so but he did not play. Uh, he played five special team snaps. So, but just kind of broadening one last point on Evan Neal here, as we broaden it out to the bigger picture of this line, bigger picture for Evan Neal and the bigger picture for this offense is that I wrote this story on Evan Neal last week, talking about how he was impressing his teammates, big test coming with this front. Obviously he failed the test. Um, but one of the things he said in the context of that story about, you know, he he's very hard on himself and critiquing himself wanting to constantly improve. Now, this guy and Andrew Thomas are very much the antithesis of Eric Flowers, um, who was a complete disaster when the Giants drafted him. Uncoachable, stubborn, um, and very hard-headed. And, and that was one of the reasons why he, he failed with the Giants and, and honestly failed in the NFL, even though he um, you know, found a little bit of a home as a guard later in his career. But these two guys, Thomas and, and Neil, uh, much more thoughtful players, let's be honest. Um, and and so there's a fine line, though, between being too hard on yourself. And Evan Neal had a great quote last week when I was talking to him about this. He said, you know, it's something along the lines of like, it's a, it is a fine line between critiquing yourself and being an a-hole to yourself. <laughs> I think that's a good life lesson in general. Like, don't be an a-hole to yourself or anyone else. And, and that's what his challenge is going to be going forward, uh, to not be that to himself and digest it 
and and move on. Um, but the bottom line is the numbers were grim. Daniel Jones pressured 55% of his dropbacks last night. The season total now 52% for Daniel Jones pressured on his dropbacks. And for as bad as the Giants offensive line was in pass protection in the last couple of years, you know, 30th and 32nd in pro football focuses ratings, Jones actually was pressured only on 34% of his dropbacks in 2021, 40% of his dropbacks in 2020, and 42% of his dropbacks in 2019. So those numbers are way up this year. You cannot win like that in the NFL. Um, the Giants have one uh, one touchdown in each of the past two weeks. You cannot win like that in the NFL. Uh, they got fortunate to do it. Uh, they have five touchdowns in three games. But what about Jones? How do you ev- how, how in the world can you evaluate him in this situation? But then also we already kind of have an idea who this guy was the past three years. And we already knew this wasn't going to be a perfect situation for him. It's what we expected kind of sort of, how do you balance all that out as you look at Jones in the near and the long term? Well, I don't envy the giants um, for having to evaluate this guy, given what is surrounding him. Um, You know, I don't, you've watched, you've watched Daniel Jones a lot closer than I have, you know, this is the first time I've watched every game he's played. Uh, but I, I do know I watched Cooper Rush last night play with a clean pocket. I didn't think he was spectacular by any means. He, he was a game manager, did it very well, went 21 for 31, I think 215 yards, threw a touchdown that uh, you know C.D. Lamb made an incredible catch on. It, it, it was a decent throw too. But you know he, he, he played a solid game with a clean pocket. Um, I would like to see Daniel Jones with a clean pocket have that same clean pocket at some point or, or something close to it rather than, uh, as our columnist Steve Pelletti, Pelletti put it, their, their biggest play was Daniel Jones, two biggest plays where Daniel Jones runs for his life to the left and Daniel Jones runs for his life to his right. Um, you know, it's just so hard to evaluate. And, you know, on on top of the struggles of the offensive line, the receiver, receiving core, you know, also a, a big question mark. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what Daniel Jones is, but I do, as, a, as after three games of watching, I do think Daniel Jones has a long career ahead of him if he wants it in some way, shape, or form in this league because he's showing that he's at the very least uh, capable of being a backup in this league, in a league that – that has terrible, a lot of terrible backups. Um, but I mean, obviously that's not what he wants and that's not what the giants want. And that's not what they're grading him on. But I, I thought it was, I thought it was telling cause I, I do think Brian Dable was sincerely um, uh, happy with the way Daniel Jones handled all the pressure he was under last night. You know, and I, I think it's one thing for him to be pleased about that. And uh, it is, we're three weeks in, so it's, you know, it's, they're two and one. And so like evaluating the big, big picture here is something we'll be doing throughout the season, but it is early. Uh, I would be shocked, shocked if he's the giants quarterback next year, shocked. Like, Let's, I mean, he, he showed people what he showed people for the last three years. Number one, number two, he's been okay and fine enough through three games there. And there were, there were always going to be mitigating factors, the line, the the supporting cast around him, another new offense. But how many, how long, for how long, and this is the end of the line. You can no longer say after this year, well, maybe one more year, give him a shot. These things didn't go right. Things are not, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And yeah, it's not a perfect situation, but um, they're going to have to do the best they can to evaluate him given the circumstances around him because 
this is it. I mean, like, there's no such thing as keeping them on an affordable contract next year. Like, they have them on an affordable contract this year. Uh, they will have to, if they want to keep him, we've said it a million times, they will have to pay him more than they would have paid him on the fifth-year option, and they decided to not pay him on the fifth-year option. Like, it, to me, it's just, there's no way he's the quarterback next year. He's just not. It's not happening. I, I would agree with that, but if you're Daniel Jones, you're, you're, you're not just playing for the Giants. You, you are, I mean, and I'm sure he, his mind is in the moment every every week he gets ready to play a game. But in Daniel Jones's big picture, is he is he showing anybody, any other team around the league, hey, you know what, I'm better than your starter, totally. Uh, and I, what's that? Correct, a hundred percent. And I and and I think there are some teams that I would say, yeah, I'd rather have Daniel Jones than that guy. You know, let's let's go to the let's just go to the Steelers are playing the Jets this week. Would you rather? They've obviously drafted Kenny Pickett, and that's where their future is, but. If they were, you know, would would you rather have Daniel Jones playing it than Mitch Trubisky right now? I would. I would too. And uh, so that that's where he, you know, he stands from a personal standpoint as the Giants continue to evaluate him. And uh, speaking of guys who probably will be playing for another team next year, there there's a bunch of them in that receiver room, and there's just so much to digest here now as we take a step back and look at the Giants receiver room, um, big picture. So. Like just recapping, they were supposed to enter the season with Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay as their outside receivers, Wandale Robinson in the slot. Kadarius Tony is hurt again and has done pretty much nothing since the Giants drafted him last year. Kenny Galladay is healthy and either being not played a lot, that's a horrible way to put it, or dropping passes and he's undependable, or some combination of both. Uh, Wandale Robinson has a knee injury. <laughs> Sterling Shepard, who was going to provide you know versatility and veteran presence, now has a torn ACL as of last night. He is out for the season. Uh, Colin Johnson, you remember him? Like, I mean, he he played pretty well in training camp, and they sure could use him right now. Blew out his Achilles in in camp in the summer. He's done for the year. Uh, Darius Slayton down the depth chart because this coaching staff isn't high on him. You can debate that, but like, let's be honest, he's not Michael Irvin. Okay. And the two, the two healthy receivers who are playing a lot are Richie James and David Sills, who are relatively unknown players who are unproven. Um, my goodness. How do you digest the whole receiver room and where they go from here? Well, I disagree with you about Terry Slayton. He is Michael Irvin. You're, they're playing about the same amount these days. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but, but, I mean, it's, it, it's funny because Tyrod Taylor was talking last week and how, how – how much difference a week makes, um, but how he was so impressed with the wide receiver room. Uh, and I think that was based on, you know, guys like David Sills and, and Richie James being being competitive guys in there. Uh, and then Sterling Shepard being a veteran, um, you know, Kadarius Tony having, having potential, the potential of a first round draft pick and Kenny Galladay, you know, for has, as much of an enigma as he's been in New York, you know, he had a track record. You, you don't lead the NFL in wide res- in receptions or touchdown receptions by accident. So, I mean, there there obviously was some good play in him at some point in his career. But right now, uh, it, it, it looks like a mess. Brian Dable can be um, enamored all he wants with David Sills, but you know, let's 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 be realistic. He's not going to be the guy that is a game changing player. Uh, you know, you you look at it 
look at a CD Lamb with the Cowboys. The Giants don't have anybody close to that. And you, you look at the Eagles um, with AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, and you you know who, who's even close on the Giants roster to those two when they're healthy? Not not even close. Um, so I mean, again, this is Daniel Jones is you know not working. Uh, with the same kind of tools that other quarterbacks in this league are, especially with the elite teams, uh, and and it really got a lot worse last night when they when they lost Sterling Shepard. I, th- I think John Feliciano called that the worst moment of the game. He says never good to lose to a division opponent. He said, but losing losing him, and I think that's a feeling that was felt throughout the locker room because so many people were so impressed with the way he worked his way back from the Achilles surgery to be back on the field so quickly this year. And he was, you know what? Sterling Shepard was playing very well among, among those receivers, probably the best of all of them. Um, and now he's gone. And that's a, that's a devastating blow to this team. Yeah. I mean, he played 58 snaps last night out of 72 uh, in week one, he played 72% of the snaps in week two, he played 88% of the snaps Sterling Shepard did. So for all the hand wringing that we've all been doing about how little Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay have been playing respectively in uh, weeks one and two, Shepard has been a consistent presence for this offense. And so now, uh, and we'll get to the Galladay trade stuff in just a second, but um, now it becomes like, well, how do they replace him? So what, what do they do? Do they roll with the guys they currently have and potentially give Galladay more playing time? Or do they look outside? Uh, could could they? They've been intrigued by Cole Beasley. Could they try to sign him off the Buccaneers practice squad? Could they perhaps trade, say, like a fifth round pick to the Jets for Denzel Mims, who has done zip in his career uh, and is but is disgruntled, thinks he should be playing more. Where do you fall on that, Beasley, Mims? I mean, those are just two options. Uh, or stick with what what you've got. Um, and if you are sticking with what you got, are, are you giving Kenny Galladay more time or somehow amid all this attrition, are you, are you, are you just continuing to not really play him much? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not enamored with Cole Beasley by, by any means. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, he played for the, he played for the Bucks on Sunday, um, and had one catch and I remember seeing the catch and he and he fell short of a first down. Brady was upset. Um, I don't know if he's upset at him or just the situation that he didn't get the first down. But, I mean, this he's a guy who's in clear decline. He's 30, 33 years old. Um, I'd rather watch Richie James play in the slot than Cole Beasley. And I think yeah. Richie James has played very well uh, in the slot so far. I mean, he, he's one of the real bright spots for this team, I think. Um and you know, I'd I'd rather see Kenny Galladay on his paycheck here. You know what? Let, let's let's see what what happens for the rest of the way. From from an from an ability standpoint, at least on paper, Kenny Galladay is far more talented than Mims or Beasley. So um, you, you know, see what he can do. See, let him try to get in the groove. Um, you know, and go from there. There's nothing that you can do at this point. Uh, as a general manager, to to fix what's wrong, it, you know, very rarely, unless you're going to make a blockbuster trade, and those very rarely happen in the middle of an NFL season, um, are you going to fix what's wrong with the wide receiver room or with the offensive line? You know what? Go go with what you got here. 
you came into this season thinking it was a rebuilding season. Maybe maybe some expectations got changed by the 2-0 start, but really they should not have been. This is a rebuilding team, and continue to evaluate what you got and move forward. I agree. I agree. I mean, look, look this is a rebuilding year in which the rookie GM is handcuffed and he's got to be very careful cap-wise. Um, he should not be throwing away draft picks, even a fifth-round pick on Denzel Mims. Like, I, I it doesn't make sense to me. Um, just like I, I, like you said, I think you, know, you put it well. I think that they should go with what they got, conserve their picks. Um, you know, they could get they could get a player like Beasley, who perhaps would be a bit redundant, like you said, with Richie James already being in the slot for for not much not much money, uh, but. The, a trade would not make sense. Like Joe Shane should not be a buyer uh, here. I mean, you, obviously you're, you're buying in the season as a, as a GM as, in terms of trades. If, if you feel like the season you're in, you know, you, unless you're desperate for personnel uh, that you're going to be a winner. Right. And so if Joe Shane is looking at this objectively, it's a rebuilding year. Why, why would you give up a fifth round pick for, for Denzel Mims? Um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I look, I think he'll explore it because he because he explores everything, um, including leading up to to this game on Monday night. Uh, now, this NFL Network report came out before the game, before Sterling Shepard's injury, uh, that the that the Giants would be open to not only trading Kenny Galladay, but you know they to, they'd have to do this to trade him. They they would be have to eat. A bunch of his salary, thirteen million fully guaranteed next this year in his salary. He has uh, already been paid his roster bonus for this year, which I believe is four point five million. I mean, the more you look at this contract, it is unconscionable. It is an unconscionable contract. Um, they guaranteed him money into the third year, which only elite players really get. Uh, but so not only that, he has a four point five million dollar roster bonus for twenty twenty three that kicked in as a guarantee. This year, in March of this year, so the Giants are, or somebody is still on the hook for the rest of his thirteen million dollars salary this year. I don't know. You could prorate that by three eighteenths or whatever, fifteen eighteenths, um, and then four point five million dollars next year. So Joe Shane would have to eat a good chunk of that money just to get a late round pick back for Kenny Galladay. It, it it would have to be a situation that is so untenable from a locker room perspective that you just want him gone. I don't think that they're there yet. Uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, they need him, given the Shepard injury. And number two, he came out after the game and was much more diplomatic than he was midweek. Yep, and I and I think you know again, let's go back to just a, the the evaluating Daniel Jones part of it. You know, what if you're going to evaluate Daniel Jones and be fair about it? Hey, make sure you have all your best players play play as good a players as you have. Uh, and, and Kenny Galladay, for all, all his struggles and problems, still fits into that category of being one of the best wide receivers on the roster. It would be better if Kadarius Toney got on the field uh, and could play consistently 50 to 60 snaps a game. And it would be better if Wondell Robinson got into the slot and got on the field a lot more. Uh, and, you know, hopefully for the Giants, that's going to happen soon. But you know what? Kadarius Tony is still one of the best receivers on the roster. Play your best players. Uh, you know, only only if he starts to become. And I think that the the, the uh, NFL.com article pointed this out. If he starts to become a real problem in the locker room, then you think about just 
you, you get rid of him, you, you eat money, you do whatever you have to do uh, to, to make sure that he's not uh, becoming a dark influence in the, in the uh, locker room in terms of what he's saying. But, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just do it to do it. I mean, you know, he's, he, I'm going to say it again. He's one of their best wide receivers. He, he's, you know, you keep thinking at some point he's got to make some plays uh, and score a touchdown and, and do those things. At least I do. I I don't know. I, I I remember watching him a little bit in Detroit and he looked good at times. Yeah, I mean, he has he's looked far from that with the Giants for, for various reasons. I mean, he missed three games last year. Uh, he's played in every game this year. 17 games, 534 yards, zero touchdowns, 32 yards a game. Basically half of what he did yards per game-wise with, with the Lions, where he, uh, he had 65 yards a game, 21 touchdowns in 47 games there, including, like you said, the league-leading 11 in 2019. So, yeah, I mean, he has just been like a complete, uh, completely irrelevant as a, as a difference maker for this team. Um, and so I, I do think, you know, at some point you'd li- they would like to to get Kadarius Tony back from this latest injury, um, the hamstring. But it sounded listening to Brian Dable today like that may not even be this week against the Bears. Uh, ditto for Wandale Robinson. This is a team that's banged up. I mean, I think Aaron Robinson perhaps comes back this week. They get their number two cornerback back from his his appendix removal. Uh, This week, of course, being the home game against the Bears on Sunday. Leonard Williams, almost certainly, I I would be surprised if he plays with the sprained MCL after missing just one game. So that's another defensive starter in addition to to Aaron Robinson. Then, of course, the two guys on offense, essentially, the other two starters there in, in Tony and uh, Wandale Robinson, it sounds like maybe not for them this week, um, which, geez, I mean, Tony was progressing. He had recovered from the arthroscopic knee surgery. He had a little bit of a leg injury in camp. He was healthy entering week one. Then all of a sudden, entering week two, hamstring tightens up and has a setback entering week three, and it's just rinse and repeat for this guy. And so... That's where they stand. I mean, it's a dire receiver situation in addition to an offensive line that's coming off a dire performance uh, as they try to assess a quarterback who, um, you know, has done some encouraging things, but the jury's still out, obviously. So with all that said, the Bears game this week, uh, how do you see it unfolding? Well, having said everything we just said, they should beat the Bears at home. Uh I mean, I, I, I'm sitting here right now just looking at at Justin Fields' stats. Oh, my goodness. He has completed 23 passes for the season. Uh, How is that possible? What's that? How is that possible? He has not thrown for any more than 121 yards in any of the games. Here's his numbers. Eight for 17 in, in a 19-10 win over – and. and and what the Bears are two and one. He's eight for seventeen with two touchdowns and an interception, which and 121 yards against the 49ers in a 19-10 win. That's his best game of the season. Uh the following week in a 27-10 loss to Green Bay, he threw eleven times, seven for eleven, uh one interception, forty-three point seven rating. And then in a twenty-three twenty win over a Texans team that everybody knows is really, really probably the worst team in the NFL. Eight for 17, 
106 yards, two interceptions, a 27.7 passer rating. Um, so, Blue Tarski-ish. <laughs> what's that? Blue Tarski-ish uh, Animal House. Re- You'll get the Animal House reference. I don't know if other people will. Uh, uh, no, I get it. I get it. 0. <laughs> 0. 0.00. Uh, uh, um, that drunk and stupid is no way to go through life, kids. Uh, anyway. <laughs> But, you know, given all that, that you know, the, this is a very beatable Bears team. And if the Giants win and go 3-1 and one going to London, um, I think every Giants fan uh, who signed up for this season would say, yeah, I'll take 3-1 and one going into London in a game against the Packers. I agree. I, I, I think, you know, this is a big swing game with Packers, Ravens coming up in weeks five and six. And uh, just to kind of yeah, – to what you said – Wink Martindale should eat this kid for lunch on Sunday. I, I, I mean, the Bears at two and one offensively in PFF's ratings, they are. While the Giants are thirty second in the league in these ratings, as I'm looking at it, um, the Bears are twenty seventh um, defensively. It, you know, if you care, the Giants are twenty seventh, the Bears are twenty eighth. So yes, two bad teams, but also a really bad offense, uh, just like the Panthers. And this is an opportunity for, I would think the not only the Giants offensive line to play better, but for Wink Martindale to thoroughly handle a young quarterback um in uh in Justin Fields. And well you um, mentioned Wink Martindale here and it wasn't his finest moment Monday night either. I mean the yeah. the Giants got no pressure on uh, on Cooper Rush. Uh, yeah. they, they had ten players on a on the field for a touchdown. Um you know that's that's not and Xavier McKinney I think had the best quote to sum up the defense on on Monday when he said we we didn't play the run very well we didn't play the pass very well we didn't have any takeaways it's very hard to win that way um, you know and they had and for all the giant struggles on offense they had a thirteen to six lead with five minutes left in the third quarter the defense ch- chance to stand up they gave up two touchdowns in the next two Dallas drives so. You know, it was not Wink. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear Wink Martindale talk about this game on Thursday. So, yeah, no, and I, I and we we said before we were going to talk about the defense. We got someone into the offense, but I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to mention too. You know, were they able to get pressure on Cooper Rush? Eh, you know, not really. I mean, they had they had seven total pressures according to PFF. That's five hurries and a hit, no sacks. How did Kayvon Thibodeau do? It looked like he wasn't much of a factor. Um, just from the naked eye, he played 19 pass rush snaps, so I think that perhaps is a mitigating factor. Um, he had one pressure; it was a hurry. PFF actually graded him 71, so he was actually their top graded pass rusher in this game. I, you know, they they see things with a, with a keen eye, certainly, um, but like it's pretty obvious he wasn't he wasn't a huge difference maker. Um, but maybe not as much of a disaster or. The bad word, bad word there, but maybe not as much of a non-factor as um, the initial indications would have indicated, for lack of a better word. So, yes, they have to get more pressure. Uh, it wasn't great, but may perhaps some decent things to take away from the Thibodeau debut. Uh, Aziz Ojolari, no pressures. Um, he did draw that penalty. Um, so that's where they stand defensively and, and, and they, they should, they should, this bears team does not have the weapons of the Cowboys and they should be able to handle, handle the bears, uh, pick wise. I I think low scoring. I think you're looking at a situation. Let's I'll just go 21 for the giants. And, uh, let's just say 13 for the bears, 21, 13 giants win. 
All right, I'm going to go 16 to 10. Oh, right. what a thrilling game it'll be for everybody on Sunday. I hope uh, I hope that there will be some nice weather for people to watch that game. Uh, uh, and, you know, if those scores pan out that way, it'll be a bit of a dud. But so that's where we're at. Anything else to add or we think, I think we covered it all, right? I think we covered everything. I think we did too. Uh, so certainly uh, some grim stuff coming out of that game for the Giants. But like we said, uh, if you go 3-1 and one heading to London, I think this loss is is forgotten uh, fairly quickly, though there are, like we said, some long-term impacts coming out of this. How will the offensive line, how will the offensive line recover? And how will the receiver room patch things up given Sterling Shepard's injury? So we'll see on Sunday. Uh, until then, be sure to uh, like, subscribe, rate, review us on all your podcasting platforms. We appreciate you listening and we will talk to you guys soon.